0: believe that uh, interacting with a holy God is important to us. And if we don't, from time to time, in our public celebration uh, of of Jesus and his resurrection, his victory, spend time in prayer, then we may be missing some of what the Lord has for us. So in just a few moments, I'm going to call out some categories, and those categories will be things like relationships, there'll be things like healing, uh, physical healing, there'll be finances and other things. And if during that time when I call out those categories, if that is a prayer need that you have, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. Uh, In fact, I'm going to ask you not to say anything. Um, But you can just raise your hand just as a sign of saying, yep, that's a prayer need that I have. It may be uh, uh, something that's going great in your life that you just want to thank the Lord for, but it might also be something that you go, whew, I just need some prayer, and God knows. And so we're going to spend a few moments in prayer. So uh, if this is true for you, if you need prayer about relationships in your life, just lift your hand up. Keep your hand up. If you have prayer needs for health, keep your hand up. Put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. If you have prayer needs for finances, keep your hand up. Great. If you have prayer needs... Uh, for a friend or family member to know the Lord. Yep, that's great. If you're just kind of burdened and dealing with anxiety, would you put your hand up? Great. With your hands extended, would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we come before you believing that you are in control, that you have a plan and it's a good plan. And so... Uh, we are leaning into the fact that we can come to you, that we can ask of you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be present in some real ways right now as we uh, come off of a great celebration and a great event this weekend uh, with, with outreach, with RevWell, as we consider what is happening in our church families with graduations and weddings, but also with funerals and also sicknesses and also hurts and also anxiety and also the pressures of life. Lord, we come before you. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with relationships right now that you would minister to them and through them, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be at work. I would pray for those who are struggling with some finances right now. Lord, whether that is that they have more months than money or whether they, they have plenty Lord, we come before you and ask for your work to be done in those places we... We pray, Almighty God, for health issues that are present even here today that you would be exalted, that you would move in this place. If it is your desire to heal on this side of eternity, we will receive that. And Lord, we will give you all of the praise. If you are choosing to heal on the other side of eternity, Lord, with our hands stretched out to you, we would be willing to receive that, trusting that all good things come from you, that you are the God, the judge of heaven and earth and you do what is right and we trust you for that Lord we think of those who uh, need to know you who don't have a relationship with you our friends and family that are around us Lord it is a burden of our heart that they would know you that we would know that they know you almighty God we would we would love to hear of their salvation and their decision to follow you to walk with you and in you Lord for your glory Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with anxieties right now, and Lord, we recognize that this season of life has certainly produced amazing anxieties, the type of anxieties that maybe didn't even exist uh, before this season. And so we pray for that. We ask that we would take your yoke, because it is light and it is good, recognizing that our yoke is heavy, and we can't bear it. So Lord, have your way in this place. I I ask that if there's anyone who is blind that they would see. That if there's anyone that's lost, that they would be found. That if anyone is dead in sin and death, that they would be found alive in you, even here today, even for your glory, even right now. Lord, I pray that the veil between heaven and earth would be so thin that we can see you on the other side and worship with the church invisible in a special way even today. We love you, and it's in Jesus Christ precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, thank you. We are in Romans chapter 7. As you're turning to Romans chapter 7, I want to set the stage. We have said that if we would be willing to see it, time can be represented by hills and valleys, and that we're accentuating that right now because uniquely we are standing on a hill where perhaps we can see the end more clearly than we've ever seen in our lifetime. Perhaps in previous times, there's been a a hill in front of us that prevented us from seeing beyond it. But uniquely, right now in world history, we're able to see the end. What I don't know is how many hills and valleys are between here and there. But what I am saying is that it appears we can see it. And because that is true, uh, I am saying this, I think you're here on purpose and for purpose. I, I, I believe that there is something stirring in our congregation and in our group in a special way in these days. That It's not about just, just coming like, what do I get out of church? But rather, I am here to give all to you, Lord. And you have a work that you want to do. One of the things that we often do in our prayer times, especially at the end of our services, is we'll put our hands out like this. And it's a symbolic gesture of just saying, Lord, I will give you anything that you want, you can have. And I'll receive anything you have for me, Lord, with joy and gladness. Uniquely, I see the church doing a work uh, that I haven't seen in the past. We're standing in full view of something we perhaps haven't seen in the past as well. A little bit different than the prophets. The prophets, their perspective was even better. They could see clearly, and they spoke to it using the word. And so we want to jump into the word. We want to rightly uh, uh, divide the word. We want to uh, understand God's word and receive it with joy and gladness, as it was intended and so that's what we're doing. We're in Romans chapter 7 today as we continue in our series, The Romans Road. If you need a Bible, there are some in the back. I want to encourage you to uh, get a Bible. I, I, love, I love to have mine in services, even when it's up on the screen, because I like to highlight and underline and jot notes off to the side. I think that's important. It's a part of the supplemental study of the word throughout the week, it's super helpful. You might be saying, well, I didn't bring my Bible, uh, but I do have it on my phone. That's great. Uh, You can do that. This is my step of faith. I am trusting that you're not on social media, (laughs) that you're not doing other things, all right? So if you got your phones out, God bless you. Uh, I'm trusting that you're in the scriptures along with us. We're in Romans chapter 7 today. And as you're turning there, I want to set the stage. See, we've been going through Romans chapter 6 just previously, and in that, we, we have seen this call to Christ in some unique ways, and I would even say in some very clear ways. But some of those lines have been a little bit muddied. I want to show you this slide. It's actually a slide that Pastor Matt uses, and I still like it, though, um, I had to. Um, uh, but it's a, it's a great picture of what we've been talking about. If you would see those blue lines as two paths, a bottom path and a top path, we all start on the bottom path in, sin, in uh, uh, selfishness and sin, and that ultimately leads to wrath, that separation from God, complete and eternal. It's a place that we call Hell. It's a place that's defined as great weeping and gnashing of teeth by Jesus himself. It sounds like an awful place to be, but it is specifically the wrath of God, which is eternal separation from God. That's where the bottom path uh, leads us, and unfortunately, that's where all of us start. But there are decisions to be made, choices to be made, uh, provoked by the Holy Spirit and called by Him. We have opportunities. To make a decision of faith. And as we choose this grace that has been extended, and as we choose it by faith, it takes us from the bottom path to the top path obedience to Christ, ultimately leading to eternal life. We would say that this whole line is eternal life, that it it starts when we receive Christ as our Savior, but we get to experience it in its fullness throughout eternity after the judgment. And that one day we all will go to a judgment that we will stand before a holy God and with account of our lives. And so, the Lord is uniquely preparing us in days like these to assess, to pause, to ask hard questions, to look at the scriptures and to apply it to ourselves. And that's what we'll be doing as we look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, we're going to break the first 12 verses down. Uh, We're going to break them down into the contract, the contingency, And the conclusion. And and you'll see that uh, as we move forward. I like the way that F.F. Bruce deals with it. Uh, F.F. Bruce says it this way. If it is because you are not under law but under grace that sin will have no dominion over you, then to be under law is to be dominated by sin. And to be under grace is to be liberated not only from the dominion of sin but also from the regime of the law. And I I want you to kind of hold that close to you as we jump in to chapter 7 together. Let's take a look at it. Romans 7, starting at verse 1, let's look at the contract. We'll We'll see the contract given, and then we're going to see an example. As we move through the example, you'll see how the example breaks down. And then when we look at the contingency, we'll see how there's a loophole in this. How do we get out of it? Well, we'll see that. And then in conclusion, we're going to ask a hard question about, well, does that mean that the law is bad? That this, that, that this obligation is bad? Well, let's look at it. Starting in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, uh, speaking of uh, the The commandments from the scriptures, six hundred and thirteen that apply to the nation of Israel, but there are others that apply to people outside of the nation of Israel, depending on how you want to judge those if you if 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 you want to number them there's approximately one hundred and eighty of those laws that apply to uh, people outside of the nation of Israel. But if you want to categories, you can look at the Ten Commandments as, as a great example of categories of those, of those laws. But his point is this. I'm speaking to those who know the law. The law was a big deal. It was a very big deal. In fact, in the early church, one of the first debates was this. Okay, someone receives Jesus as their Savior. That's Wonderful. But shouldn't they know the law? Shouldn't they become Jews also? Shouldn't for them to have salvation, to receive salvation, shouldn't they receive Christ but also practice the law? Shouldn't they also be circumcised? Shouldn't they also inherit the 613 rules? That's from Acts chapter 15. That was one of the first uh, debates that happened as Gentiles were coming in. And they said this, we can't even do it. Why would we put that burden on them? Plus, we don't see that there is even a need to put that burden on them. And so early on in the church, there was still a lot of pushback from that. Okay, leaders, I know what you're saying But I grew up under the law, and I still think the law has value. So you should do that. They were called Judaizers, wanting people to become Jews as well as believers. So I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as he lives. So as long, and he's talking here in terms of breathing (laughs) north of the ground, this law applies to you. Now we're going to see the example. He says it this way. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So he's going to give an example that everyone was familiar with. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to officiate a wedding. It also happened to be my son's wedding. Uh, And uh, yeah, that was a really cool thing. Weirdest thing about this, though you guys i 'll share this with you, uh, and you 'll appreciate it as 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 i 'm up front officiating, apparently, there were a lot of onions being cut nearby that 's the only reason I can explain what happened uh, following but i 'll just tell you that this daddy slash pastor didn 't quite make it with dry eyes it was It was a special moment of you know uh, watching uh, my my son respond in faith, not just to his Lord, but in faithfulness to this woman and this woman doing the same. And so I'm looking at this adult male who happens to be a Marine, and I see my three-year-old baby right there. i right? like, man, you don't even use spoon with mashed potatoes, you know? And it was a weird moment. But my point is that they went through this ceremony, and at one point... They, they had a time where they shared vows. In the vows, they said things like for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And then they said, till death do us part or the Lord comes for his own. Interesting that we would have that in the vows. Well, why do we have that in the vows? Because we're identifying a contract. And in the contract, we know that as long as we're living, we have a responsibility to these vows, and to follow, to obey these vows. uh, No one forced them to make those vows, but they are voluntarily submitting to the authority of those vows in their lives. For better or for worse, richer, poorer, sickness, and in health. I vow to love and to cherish you until I die or the Lord comes for his own. And that's what they're identifying in this passage as well. Verse 3, he gives another scenario. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. So he's saying this, that if you have a vow that you have made and you just choose to live with somebody else despite this vow that you've made, you are then considered an adulterer. Now we know that there, there are some things that Jesus gives. Adultery is, is uh, uh, one of the, the ways that is an acceptable divorce. That's, that's not the point in this. The point that they're giving in this passage is what breaks uh, this contract? What gets us out of this contract? And Paul very specifically wants us to know that it's a death. And he's given the example of marriage. When someone dies in marriage, the other person is free to remarry, to get in a different contract. Continuing on. But if her husband dies, she is free from the, that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So he's given the contingency, that contingency that he gave, and as, any, as an example in the contract, he is showing how this works for us in our, in our lives. So the contingency is death. And then, as the hearers in Rome are hearing this, is like, this is not very hopeful, that the only freedom that I get from these laws, these rules, is death. Yikes here's where life comes, and it comes paradoxically. You have also died to the law through the body of Christ. In chapter 6, there was an illustration given of baptism. And in that, we were reminded that we are dead to sin and death. That's why we go down into the water, and we rise up alive in Christ. And he's following that same logic here, that you have died the law. You're, You're dead to that. But you are alive in Christ. Christ's death replaced our death. When we receive Christ, we're receiving his death. That's what he died for. And that as we rise up, we are rising up alive in Christ. May we have eyes to see that. So that you may belong to another In other words, you don't belong to the law anymore just like that woman. Uh, She doesn't belong to the man who died anymore. She's free and she can remarry. We we no longer belong to the law. But we also don't belong to ourselves. There are only two options in this. It's either the law or it's Christ. Those are only two options. That's it. No other options. Continuing on. In order that we may bear fruit... For God, So we are raised that we may bear fruit. Uh, Why do I have new life? Well, I have new life for a few reasons, but one of them is to bear fruit for God, that I would honor and glorify him with my life. It's not bad fruit, it's good fruit. It's not rotten fruit, it's tasty fruit. All right, (laughs) let's continue on. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, that... That seems kind of bad, like, okay, the law arouses passions? How does that work? I'll give you an example. I have seven kids. I love all of my kids. I also want all of my kids to eat the food that their mother often makes for them. I think that that's reasonable. Sometimes in our pantry, there are cookies. My kids, probably unlike you and your children would really like to have those cookies. So I have to say this sometimes, you can't have the cookies before you eat. And what what does that stir in them? I really want those cookies now. I only kind of wanted them before. Now I really want them because dad said I can't have them. But now all I can think about is having a cookie. I want a cookie. And these little kids, when they were really little, they would, sometimes they would even cause tears. I really wanted the cookie. I, yeah, mom's food is great. That's fine. But I want the cookie. 30 seconds before, they didn't care about a cookie. But because I brought it to their attention, now they want a cookie. The law is like that. The law brings forward things that we can't have that produce death. And sometimes because we are sinful, because we are around flesh, we've inherited it, and often live in it, it arouses something within us. Yeah, suddenly I do want my way more than I want God's way. Suddenly I'm willing to do things that I maybe wasn't willing to do just before I was made aware of it. And we'll see that as Paul Uh, continues to talk it through in verse six. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that uh, we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written law. So we're not bound by those old ways. So what's the conclusion? Well, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? So was it sin to say no cookie? No, no. But what it did do is it aroused something within my kids. What the law has done is it's aroused something within us. I'll I'll say it another way. A few weeks ago, we talked about our checkbooks. For those of you who know what a checkbook is. For the others, go ahead and Google it later. But a checkbook, we keep account of the spending that we have. We identify what type of spending that we've done, and... If, in this example, we have spent more than we have in the bank, the checkbook lets us see that. But if I didn't have a checkbook, it still doesn't mean that I didn't overspend, right? The checkbook didn't make me spend more or spend less. That's not the point. But it does record it and helps me identify how I spent it. The law is similar. What the law does for us is it, it, it doesn't make us in, but it does allow us to see where we have helps us to categorize it, helps us to know what is good to spend and what is bad. And so we see it here. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Let let me pause there before we go to verse 12. So it would be a little bit like this. Paul is saying that, okay, even though what has been produced by the law has been death, that doesn't mean that the law is bad. It would be like this, and I recognize the illustration I'm about to give is going to break down, okay? It's not a perfect illustration, but if I said this to you, if in five days you show up, you individually, if you show up with $511 trillion I will double it. If you did that in five days, okay, great. Well, let's see, I I got 10 bucks in my pocket. What else can I find? Well, here's the thing. You're never gonna, at least right now, you're not gonna be able to produce $511 trillion because there's only $510 trillion available in uh, cumulative individual wealth. So what that means is you are going to have to have everyone else's wealth in the whole world plus another trillion dollars, right? That's not going to happen. So that's unfair, but, but that deal is pretty good. Like if you could double it, that would be great. The problem is you can never do it. The law is something like that. If you could fulfill the law in and of yourself, if you could do everything perfectly, great, you've earned salvation. Problem is we can't ever, but there's good news. The fact that I can't points me to my incredible need for a Savior. Because I can't do it myself. I need to be saved. I, it's, I can't earn it. I can't buy it. I can't borrow it. I, I, I can't inherit it from my genealogy, from my ethnicity. I can't get it. It doesn't even matter which church I get. Like it that, That's not what it's based on. But... From Christ, I can. Because Jesus did do it perfectly. Jesus did live the perfect life, the sinless life, and he offered his life for us that when I receive Jesus as my savior, I am entering into his death and resurrection. What he's done. And the end of this goes this way. So the law is holy. Why is it holy and set apart? Because it gives me eyes to see my need. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And so let's look back at this and let's ask the hard question Which path are we on? Where, where are we at in this? All of us are going to go to this judgment day. It doesn't matter what path you're on, you're go, we are going to end up on this judgment day. And on that day, we have to give an account. And if on that account, God says, Why would I welcome you into my heaven? Our answer is because, no, I, Oh, terrible. Like, it's not like I was Adolf Hitler. God might say, yeah, that's true. But Adolf Hitler is not the standard. Jesus is, and he's perfect. And what we did, will never measure. It's not going to be enough. But if on that day, we enter into that judgment, and he asks that same question, he said, because I received Jesus as my Savior. Because I followed him, I committed my ways to him. The spirit of God that dwelled in me is alive and developing and working in me and transforming me. And here's the fruit of that all to your glory as we saw. Then, then we enter into eternal life. It's produced by faith. So where where are we at on this? As we enter into a time of communion, I want to ask these questions. They won't be available during communion. If you need to take a picture of it to kind of chew on it, that's great. These are some good uh, questions to chew on as we walk forward uh, and as the worship team comes. First question is this How has the law revealed sin in your life? How has the law revealed sin in your life? I'll say this, I'll I'll share this illustration with you. We all have default sins, right? I mean, there are things that we gravitate towards. I I gravitate towards gluttony. That's that's one of my default sins. Um, Gluttony works for me because it's a way I can medicate myself. A few years ago, uh, I, I ended up having to lose 50 pounds and was able to do it. Praise God, that was wonderful. But it was because of gluttony, and I, I had to address that in my life and be honest with it. I'm sharing it with you as a form of accountability and trying to keep anything that might be in the dark out into the light. Now you're going to be watching did Kenny eat that whole piece of cake? I, I get it. <laughs> Feel free to keep me accountable. But my point is, I wouldn't have even thought that that was that bad until I saw the scriptures. And when I realized that there's a place for moderation, in fact, food is good, but there's a place for moderation. Oh, well, I I have done more than moderation. I've moderated for me and you. That was a problem and had to be addressed. So we go to the next question. How has the law revealed a need for grace? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace is receiving something that I didn't earn. God's grace is the extension of salvation through faith. How has the law revealed that? Well, when I realize that this actually I can eat as much as I want, I can eat till I'm sick, but it doesn't fix anything. I'm still frustrated, I'm still worried, I'm still but wait a minute, when I go to Jesus and I recognize that Jesus has given me everything that I need and and that he actually has an answer and part of that answer might just be to wait on him. I need to be good in that place. I need to experience Jesus in that place. And I need to wait until I get him. I need to pull on the hem of his garment. Or I need to wrestle with him all night. Whatever it is. But there's Jesus. And I experience Jesus uh, through his word. And then how has grace led you closer to the Lord? How has that grace led you closer? Praise God. God revealed some things through me in my own sin. Ooh, I have a weakness that needs to be addressed. And perhaps you have one too. And then finally, how has the Lord led you closer to others? How has the Lord led you closer to others in this? Here's the reality we're the body, and we need one another. Uh, My weakness is supplemented in Christ by your strength, and vice versa. We're a body. And we come together, we're stronger together. In fact, we work together. That's how bodies are. Last week, we gave this illustration of a finger, if you remember. We said this, that a finger is great for the hand. You can do a lot of things. Uh, It helps working in concert with the rest of the fingers in your hand. You can grasp things and, and, and use things, but... If that finger is severed and is on the floor, now suddenly you don't have access and your fingers have to do things that they're not used to doing and you're working in ways that you hadn't been. And by the way, for that finger, there is no life there. You can't expect it to do anything. It's separated. And we see that um, in terms of our our connection with God. And so in just a few moments, we're going to participate in communion. How we practice it here is called open communion. That means if you've received Jesus as your Savior and you've taken the time to examine your heart, then you are free to participate. You'll notice that there are four stations in this room, and we encourage people to come down the carpeted areas toward their station and then uh, go and get both the cup and the bread and return on the outer edge to their seats. And wait for everyone, and then we'll participate together. And so with that in mind, and as you spend a few moments just examining your own heart and asking the Spirit of God to reveal to you, where am I at? What path am I on? And Have I addressed these questions in my life? As you do that, join me as we pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be lifted up and exalted. We ask, Almighty God, that you would... Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And even as we wrestle with hard things and are honest about some hard things in our lives, recognizing that we're all works in progress, we we need you. And we're reaching out to you, Lord. In faith, we trust you, Lord, as our Savior, to rescue us, not just for salvation, but also for day-to-day living. And so be exalted here today, O Lord. Move in this place in such a way that we would hear and respond to you, even as we participate in the Lord's Supper. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.